We are now in week 15 of our series in Corinthians, uh, and so at this rate, we'll probably finish this year, maybe. Um, again, it's wonderful for us to take the time to honour the Word of God and to let it sink in and to let it transform us and, and to let it really stew in our minds the way I believe the Lord wants it to. Last week, we spoke uh, about the end of chapter 5, talking about... Um, why do we part with some behaviors or why don't we part with some behaviors? Or if we're interacting with one another and, and there's something going on in someone else's life, are we assuming that the person is, first of all, that they're unaware of, of sin or, or something going on that needs to be dealt with? Or do we believe they're unable to deal with that if the person is trapped by addiction or a sense of powerlessness? Or are we simply jumping to the conclusion that the person is unwilling? And that was kind of where we left off last week, talking about when we are interacting with people out in the community, we often we often choose one of these two approaches, one of these two, I would call them like main facets of the way God presents himself. Um, and how are we introducing the Lord to people? What we see Paul advocate um, at the end of chapter 5 is that we don't treat unbelievers almost with the same um, the same expectation that they're going to be dealing with sin immediately. We don't take that, that expectation from inside the house of God and apply that immediately to people outside the house of God or outside the household of God. I'm not going to go back over everything from last week. This week, chapter 6, conflict. Yay! Oh, come on. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because if you're breathing then you have probably had a conflict situation. Um, and doing some research and doing some prep this last week, I came across this picture and I just thought it was great uh, because clearly it's an office scene and someone's holding an umbrella and, and a phone. For those of you in the room under 20 years of age, the thing on this side is a phone. And it has a cord attached to it. And the other person has scissors and, uh, and a walking stick of some sort. But this is often what conflict can feel like. No matter what the background is, all of a sudden a small thing can escalate and it can become this I, I will win, I will fight you to the death kind of thing um, really, really quickly. Often this is what it looks like on the outside. And whenever conflict happens, um, it, has, it has a physicality to it. We are physical beings. And right now, I'm sure even just bringing this topic up, there's some of us in the room who have kind of an, un, an unhappy feeling here because maybe there's some of us in the room who are in the middle of some conflict. And it's not pleasant. It costs us sleep. Um, I, I don't know where you have conflict affect you most, but for me, it's in the morning when I'm standing in the shower, sipping my coffee. <laughs> Praise God. And sometimes in that moment, I find myself having a disagreement with someone. And there's no one else there. I assure you, there's no one else there. But I call it having an invisible argument. You, you start, um, it's like one of the bad guys monologuing in, in a hero action film where all of a sudden you are, you are just coming out with the most well-prepared, amazing sort of, and it's conflict and it's, and it's playing out and it's taking time and it's taking sleep and it's taking peace and there's a physicality to it. Um, often people talk about um, sweaty palms. 
Or people talk about their heart beating out of their chest. Uh, as the stress of conflict can escalate, um, some people can have all sorts of things. Some people erupt into hives. Some people have ectopic heartbeats or, or all of these sorts of things going on. Conflict is deeply, deeply, deeply unpleasant. But whenever it's going on, it is almost almost always true of every single one of us that we are good at justifying ourselves. We're good at justifying that we're right and the other person is wrong. And if the other, if the other person would only accept our perspective or our view, then everything would be fine. Um, we could talk a lot this morning about... Um, communication styles. Um, I've got this little picture up here. This is one that we use in our house whenever it comes to disagreements. Um, this is a tool from the Doug Dragster program run by a guy at a Bendigo. Really great program. Look into it if you're interested in tools around conflict resolution and uh, communication styles. We could talk a whole lot about this sort of stuff, but I want us to, to zoom back a bit. We're going to look at the passage of Scripture in a moment. And then we're going to come to, to rest actually on some really, really big ideas. So we're not going into the minutiae this morning of, of looking at how we do conflict one-on-one, -on -one, but we're going to zoom out a bit because there's uh, there's a commentary here in what Paul says on the whole community of faith. So let's read through. We're just going to do the first eight verses this morning. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If any of you, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? There's a lot of questions Paul asks through here. Do you not know that we will judge angels? That's a big idea. How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? Verse 5. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Wow, Paul is not really pulling any punches. I'm not sure in any other letter that Paul writes, he includes the phrase, I say this to shame you. This is incredibly strong language from Paul. And what we need to understand, which we've talked about before, is when Paul writes letters in the New Testament, what we see is Paul writing often in response to issues that have been communicated to him by the church. So when something's going on in the church, he writes to that church to correct an abuse or, or to correct something that's going wrong in that church. And so we have to have a look at what Paul is writing at and go, what on earth was going on in Corinth? Well, clearly, believers are taking each other to court. That seems pretty straightforward. But Paul here is critiquing how that even happens. 
He says that the fact that they're even taking each other to court means they've already been defeated. But inside that, he then goes, you know what? Um, isn't there anyone wise enough to judge between you? Because the ideal situation, the ideal situation here is that when a dispute happens, it actually gets sorted out effectively in-house. That there is a way of dealing with conflict within God's family. And particularly here, he's talking about uh, the person of wisdom that we find here in verse 5. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Our conflict, and particularly when believers have conflict with one another, our conflict says something, first of all, about what's going on in our own heart. I'm going to use a little diagram this morning. Um, This is a a little useful tool. It looks silly. It's not of going, you know what? When conflict happens, what do I actually want out of this? What is the thing of the most value as, as you're in conflict with someone else and as you want it to be resolved, what is the thing that is of most value? And out of our passage this morning, here are some things that Paul talks about. He talks about actually having some, having some secrecy about the, the process going on, that it's not something which is blared out to every unbeliever present, that it's actually a good thing for it not to, to be broadcast. This is something he talks about. Um, he talks here about um, pride when we look in this passage Here we have this, instead one brother takes another to court. The very fact you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? That there is something in us that uh, we don't like losing. No human being actually likes to be on the losing side. There's something about that which, which feeds into our identity or our sense of pride or our sense of dignity. And so we need to be aware that often in conflict, one of the one of the pieces that's at work in our own heart is actually pride, that we are not prepared to let ourselves be wronged. I will win. Something that plays out. We also see that punishment is something here, that if we are wounded, if we are hurt, if we feel that we have been wronged, or using the language Paul's used, that we have been cheated, or that we have been swindled, that we want punishment we want that person to not do that thing anymore they have hurt me they need to to pay for what they've done to me this plays out in the heart of every single one of us on some level we also have dues here to go you know what if i have been if i have not received something that i ought to have received that person has not paid me and i actually need the money for payment or I was doing um, a deal with that person um, and that person rorted me. I, I actually wanted that deal to go through. There was something I wanted in that. Or even to go, I'm in conflict with this person and that person has not respected me. They have not treated me the way they ought to have treated me. These are all things that we have sifting around as our priorities when conflict is playing out. But here, this is the one that Paul is calling the Corinthian church on, is actually Jesus's reputation. Because the way we do conflict not only says something about what's going on inside of us, 
It says something about who the Lord is. And if we are brothers and sisters, if, if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, then when we have a disagreement, and by the way, we're allowed to disagree. It happens all throughout the New Testament. People disagree with each other. But the way we disagree is a commentary on who Christ is. If we are believers and if we are in conflict, then the way we are in conflict says something to those around about us about who Jesus is and about what Jesus is worth, about how in control of our life Jesus is. Or if we're treating each other really, really, really badly, then what it actually says to a non-believer is to go, oh, God must be fine with his people treating each other this way. Why, why is this important for us? Because God's reputation, God's name suffers because of our conduct sometimes. Is the name of the Lord a valuable thing? It's not a trick question. Is the name of the Lord a valuable thing? Yeah. Well, here Paul is talking to a group of believers saying that their um, conflict with one another is doing something to actually tear down the Lord's name. So if we take this teaching of Paul in isolation and we say, you know what, if someone who is a person of faith has an issue or has a dispute with someone else who is a person of faith, should that always be dealt with in-house? Is there never any moment where actually a worldly authority needs to get involved? Is there never a moment where actually the dirty laundry of Christian conflict needs to be aired in the public sphere? See, if we take Paul's writing in this place and we take to it with a pair of scissors and we go, oh, cool, from now on, you know, it's, it's part of our conduct here. No one will ever get into a court case. Or nothing will ever need to be presented to the police. If we take that approach... We need to be very, very careful that we're, that we're not just looking at one piece of scripture, but looking at a number of pieces of scripture. We'll come back to this week's conversation in a moment. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 13. So it's back a little bit from Corinthians. Acts chapter 13, and we're going to start reading from verse 6. This is Paul and Barnabas being spoken about. Acts chapter 13, verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, or son of Jesus, is what the name means. That is the person's claim, that they are the son of Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas the sorcerer, by Jesus, Elimas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, you are a child of the devil. Depending on your translation, he says, you are not a child of Jesus. You are not son of Jesus. You are son of the devil. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. 
You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Here is, here is a situation where we find Paul confronting someone who claims to be a believer. We're someone who actually claims to be a representative of Jesus. And here Paul, in contrast to what he's talking to the Corinthians about, Paul explodes this moment in the public sphere. Interesting. Turn with me to Galatians. It's after 2 Corinthians. So if you find some Corinthians, then after that you'll end up in Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. And we are going to read from verse 11. Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 says this. When Cephas, that's Peter's other name, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, that's James who's the head of the Jerusalem church, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, important words, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And then he goes on from there. Paul opens a can in public because of Peter's conduct that Peter was eating food with the Gentiles and these people come down from Jerusalem, from James, often called Judaizers. Uh, and we find out in Acts chapter 11 that Peter had already got in trouble with these people for not behaving Jewish enough. And then when they turn up, he stops eating with the Gentiles and Paul calls him out on that behavior. They have a conflict and Paul makes it public. So it's interesting then that we find in Corinthians that Paul is saying, don't take it into the public sphere. Is Paul talking to victims of abuse? When he writes this letter, is Paul talking to victims of abuse here in Corinth? Big question. The language that Paul uses back here, let's have a look. Have a look at the end of verse 2. If you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? If something is trivial then I think that, that a church should have the capacity to deal with trivial things in-house. I don't think that is, is an improper expectation. I don't think that's unfair. I don't think that's unreasonable. But the people that Paul is writing this to are also people who have not been 2,000 years in um, where there's a huge network of of Christianity that, that has buildings and properties and, um, and is in the public sphere. How do we take what we, what we read about in Paul and apply it actually to the world that we live in? How do we take the writings of Paul and look for those things which are timeless and cross-cultural 
How do we look for those things which reveal the character of God? We have people in this town who are believers, they have a faith in God, where they themselves have been really, really hurt by Christians. Christians who have claimed to be faithfully representing God. And this is not something which is peculiar to our town. This is something which we are seeing play out across Australia. Um, It's not the only way that believers harm one another and claim to be representatives of God. This is from an article that was published in October of last year where a minister's wife actually uh, spoke out and started talking, saying here are, here are the incredible abuses that this person had suffered and was told not to talk about it and told to stay quiet about it because that's what we do in God's household. See, it is possible for us to take the writings of someone like St. Paul and if we cut and paste it, rather than going actually how do, we, how do we sift through this where we seek to honour these other passages of Scripture, like what we read about in Acts, what we read about in Galatians? What is really God's priority in this? What is the most important thing in conflict to God? And we see this, and this is why we read Galatians and why we read Acts this morning, is that when it comes to conflict, God's reputation is at stake. And if we do conflict really, really poorly by not dealing with things. We make as much of a hash of the Lord's name as if we do conflict by exploding stuff out into the public sphere when perhaps we don't need to. Let me explain this for a moment. Would it be more damaging for us not to have had a royal commission in this country? More damaging or less damaging? probably more damaging because in many ways abuses would have continued. People would have continued claiming to faithfully represent the Lord Jesus Christ, deliberately harming others. And so what we see Paul do in Acts and what we see Paul do in Galatians is that he brings something into the light so that God might actually be identified and say, this is not okay with God. Sometimes God brings something into the light, into the public sphere before unbelievers because his people have been so misrepresenting him. And we see it again and again throughout the Old Testament where God whoops his own people to show off to all the other nations around them that his people had strayed from him, that they were no longer faithfully representing him. See, this is, this is the challenge for us in conflict is to go, all right, if I'm in conflict with someone else, how do I do conflict in a way which honors God? How do I do conflict in a way which has God's glory as the number one outcome, as the most valuable thing, the, the thing right at the top of our priority tree? If I'm in conflict with someone and I have brought it to the church, if I'm in conflict with someone and and I have put all the cards on the table, if whatever the process is, I've, I've entered into the process, and if it is as what Paul says to the Corinthian church, if you know what, the right people are not functioning to deal with the conflict, then what Paul does with Peter, or what Paul does with Elimas, still seeks to preserve the glory of God. 
still seeks to represent God. And I believe there are times where if we as people who function in church leadership, if we fail to actually faithfully represent God in the way that we journey through our disagreements within kind of the household of faith, then you know what? You might find yourself in a church one day where something needs to get brought out into public because it has not been dealt with properly by God's people. If you are in a situation right now, and there might be people in this room who are in this situation, and you are thinking, that's great, Bob, these are big concepts, but I feel wronged or I feel cheated by a brother or sister, what do I do? And maybe it's not on a big, large scale, maybe it's on a small scale. Maybe it's something which was brief or momentary. Maybe it began as, as a miscommunication or as a disagreement or it escalated. Whatever has happened, I encourage us to take to heart Paul's words to the Corinthian church, particularly this usage of his word, trivial. If there is a way that we can look at our conflict and go, you know what? Something trivial has happened. Am I able to put it aside? As Paul says here, am I able to go, you know what? I have been wronged or I have been cheated. If I am able to hold that as trivial and of not being eternally valuable, then I urge you to be the bigger person and to put it aside. We need to be able to unplug ourselves from hurt and to move continually in the direction of forgiveness. That's if it is trivial. And the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and righteousness and we need to look at our own heart and whether we are caught up in unforgiveness if we have been swindled or cheated, but we can leave that as trivial, we need to get on with the Lord. We need to be looking out the front window, not out the back window. If it is not trivial, if it is something which affects eternity, or if it is something which misrepresents the person of the Father or the Son and the Spirit, then it must come to light. We read in Matthew 18 a process for working through that. If there is conflict, we actually need to, to go through the motions of having a conversation. And you know what? If, if we're wrestling with that, again, if we're feeling powerless, if we're feeling trapped, if we're feeling like we're going to come under attack, if we need support, it is reasonable to expect that from the church. Where a dispute needs to happen, we need to conduct disputes as adults and not children. Sometimes that means actually writing things down. Um, I'll share a story in a minute, but it's it's a very difficult thing when when someone says, oh, look, I'm my relationship with such and such is not going well at the moment. People never use those words. My relationship with such and such is not going well at the moment. Here's a thing that happened or here's a thing that got said, but I don't want you to do anything about it. As someone who, who will end up getting shot at for not dealing with conflict in the church, those conversations are useless. 
if you go to a, a pastor or an elder or, or a small group leader or a ministry leader and you go, oh yeah, this thing happened, but I don't want to cause any trouble. Don't do anything with it. I don't want you to tell anyone. That is actually not bringing something into the light that maybe needs to get brought into the light. We need to conduct our disagreements sometimes as adults, always as adults and not as children. We need to be sensible. We need to treat one another with dignity and honesty and sincerity and not with, with all of the childish stuff which sometimes comes into conflict. Someone said once that um, often when a person ends up in conflict, they're actually very juvenile or very teenage behaviors which turn up because that was the age in our life where we were last really in the thick of conflict was when we were, you know, back being teenagers. And if we've never learned to put those tools down and to pick up adult tools, sometimes disagreements between adults can get incredibly childish, incredibly quick. Conversation for a different day. If a dispute or an abuse is severe and you do approach it to bring it into the light and whatever the church process is, what whatever is put in place is done wholeheartedly and above board and the church chooses to not address it, what do we do? I put to you that what we see at work in the life of Paul, not just in Corinth but also in Galatia and what we see... Um, in the book of Acts, I think in Antioch, is that Paul seeks the glory of God, that God is faithfully represented. And sometimes what needs to happen is for people who are misrepresenting God to be brought into the light so that God himself may say to the world, these people do not represent me. The thing at the top of the tree for us needs to be the glory of God. Oh, going the wrong way. It needs to be Jesus' reputation. So I'll share a story and then we will talk about one more thing before we finish up. Uh, one of my mates who is a chippy in Melbourne, I think I've shared part of his story before, really top bloke, let's call him uh, Boris. Um, Boris was involved in a church and he ended up as, as a builder, as, a, as someone who was a chippy, he, um, he'd finished his apprenticeship and he wanted to kind of go out on his own. And so his small group leader in that church, his Bible study leader, uh, ran a construction company, said, oh, come work for us. And so he ended up working for them for a while. And then they said, you know what, we can set you up with your own business entity. Um, and these guys, he looked at them um, and they were people of, of renown in that church. They were people who had it together. They were people who did kind of the marriage counseling and the pre-marriage counseling and and then, you know, they, they had the Porsche parked outside their house and they had this beautiful old classic truck they were doing up and, and all this sort of stuff. And it looked like they were actually really together and they it was it was all kind of cool. But what happened is that he worked for them for probably about 18 months. And then one day they called him and they said, oh, by the way, after and doing amazing, amazing building work, the stuff that they were doing from week to week was wonderful stuff. But what Boris didn't know was that behind the scenes, they had been using this company they set up that was attached to him and in his name um, and anchored it to my mate and his wife. They'd been using that to siphon a whole lot of their debts into. And they'd paid no superannuation to any of the employees. 
Uh, they paid no work cover. They paid no tax. And so what happened was they called him in one day. They said, oh, by the way, we're closing that company down, um, but we're going to set up another one for you. And so he started asking questions and he went, wait a sec, what does that mean? The short version is that the tax department called him and said, you owe us about $96,000. And then he had other contractors calling him and saying, you haven't paid me. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not the one who's supposed to pay you. This other group of the ones who were supposed to pay you. And they said, no, 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 it's always come through your business. So when he went to these people and he said, excuse me, what's going on? Their response was twofold. The first part of their response is, we have not broken the law. And that's correct. They hadn't. They had not broken the law. They shelved the company that the director of that company would need to declare bankruptcy or whatever it was or, or however they had it set up. They had not actually stepped outside the law. Had they behaved incredibly unethically? Absolutely. So what he did is he went to the pastor at his church because he was supposed to, when he was involved in the life of the church, be in submission to these people because they were in church leadership. So he went to, to the senior pastor of the church and he said, here is what's been going on. And one or two other of, of the, the people who'd been working around the traps for these people were involved in other churches. They had also contacted the senior minister and what came out of that person's mouth, not the senior minister, but these other people, was an extraordinarily abusive series of communications because they said, how dare you bring my business dealings into what happens in God's house on a Sunday? Conflict. And so this friend of mine was faced with a with a decision to make. What was the most important thing for him? Did he want justice and retribution? Absolutely. Um, did he probably want to do some, some decorative nail gun tattooing with the person? Probably. Um, did this affect his sense of pride and success? Yeah. Was, um, was he interested in what it would say to everyone else about the Lord? Yeah, because this guy that he'd been working with was claiming to be a Christian through and through. Did he want the person to be punished? Yeah. And in the end, what he decided to do was to not take the person to VCAT. In the end, what he decided to do was that he decided to absorb the debt and to draw a line in the sand and to hand those people over to the Lord. And to say, Lord, they're not misrepresenting me. These people are misrepresenting you. Ultimately, they're not in my hands. They're in your hands. Lord, please help me pay this debt. Now, less than 12 months later, the debt had been paid and it did not make sense for, for the amount of work which they'd done and for everything else. And they worked very, very hard, but it didn't make sense for that debt to actually have been paid. And there's a true story. If you want to chat to me later, I'll give you his number. You can call him. But the the people who had been in this conflict, who'd been on the receiving end, were people who had been misrepresenting the Lord. Now, they didn't quite lose their marriage, but this man and his wife ended up not living in the same house for quite a while. They certainly lost their house in the end. They lost all of these other things which they had. And thankfully, the person eventually came to repentance. They had a Zacchaeus experience. 
The Lord takes conflict seriously and the Lord takes his name and his reputation seriously. So we need to be very, very careful about the way that we do conflict. That was kind of final point number one. Final point number two is this. Um, Some of you would be aware that we have an ongoing process of reviewing and renewing um, our constitution, kind of some big pieces at a time. One of the conversations going on at the moment is around a code of conduct. We now have a values statement as a church, but one thing that uh, is noteworthy in our constitution is that when conflict happens, we need to have a look at the process and the tools which exist in the life of the church for us to process that, for us to deal with that. Um, So far, David Cummings has been part of that process. He's going to continue being part of that process, which is great. Um, I've already had a chat with him this year about that. I spoke about that a little bit last week. But we need to be aware that however we do conflict, whether big or small, we are saying something about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray in a moment and then we're going to do another song before we finish. Lord God, we know that conflict really hurts, that disagreements and disputes can be so messy and an extraordinary minefield of of noise and emotion. But Lord Jesus, I ask that as as conflict inevitably happens, would you help us to sift through our priorities? Lord, where something is unable to be put aside, would you help us to to do the, the stuff of significant disagreement wisely and in a loving way and in a way which seeks to preserve your glory and your name. Lord God, where we are able to put something aside as being trivial and where we are able to unhook ourselves from the unforgiveness and the hurt that happens, would you please help us to do that? As difficult as that is, would you journey us into that? As we heard Max read this morning, you yourself forgave. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Would you help us to have that same spirit and that same strength at work inside of us? But Lord God, this situation that we hope never faces us, but where severe conflict or abuse has not been addressed by people who claim to be your representatives, Lord, give us the strength to honor you. Give us the wisdom to honor you and to represent you where maybe it's as Paul says, there is not the wise person in the room to make a judgment and something has to spill out in order for you yourself to actually be faithfully represented. Lord, we want you to be glorified. We want to do a great job of doing that ourselves. Lord, would you continue walking us through the conflict situations we have going on at the moment? Please give us your wisdom. We know that you never hold back when people ask for wisdom. But Lord Jesus, help us to love one another. Even where there are disagreements or disputes, help us to love one another. We ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.